millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The government and Neffet meets as more cases of the latest Omicron variant are discovered around the world. A number of samples are being tested to see if the variant has already made its way to Ireland. It's not possible in this case to know how many cases there may be here. Uh, the number that were sent for whole genome sequencing is a little over 10. And one of the founders of Modern Communications steps aside as Jack Dorsey leaves his role as the head of Twitter. Speaking of which, do get in touch. Our hashtag is TonightVMTV. Good evening. Four days ago, no one had ever heard of the Omicron variant. Now it's part of everyday speak as countries around the world work out what needs to be done to try and contain it. As of yet, there are no confirmed cases in Ireland, whereas there were more than 4,600 other COVID cases here in the Republic today. Earlier today, I spoke to the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, about antigen testing in the country and the issue of hotel quarantining being back in the agenda once again. Uh, I'll be seeking govern government approval tomorrow uh, to introduce legislation which essentially would, would reintroduce it on the statute books uh, and then it, once we have it on the statute books obviously that's something uh, that we could look to activate if government decides. I think it's likely that the list of countries will grow. Yes, we've got seven countries right now. Uh, there are meetings at an EU level today to look at other countries and as people will be aware more and more countries are now saying that they're identifying uh, confirmed uh, or likely cases. So yes, I, I think it's highly likely that the country or the, the, the list of listed countries would, will grow. What's important to me on antigen testing is first of all that it's being widely used, secondly that it's being used properly and that people have the access to the materials they need and then thirdly that it's affordable. Uh, it is being widely used, we know that about one in five adults are using it now. For me, a price point of eight euro uh, is not something that has been affordable for everybody and so I've been exploring a subsidy scheme where we could have a, a significant reduction in that. Stephen Donnelly speaking to me a little bit earlier. We're joined in studio now by the Green Party's Joe O'Brien, Minister of State at the Department of Rural and Community Development, by the Sinn Féin TD, Darren O'Rourke, and by Gerald Barry, an Assistant Professor of Virology at UCD. Uh, Gerald, can I start with yourself? Um, it is, as we said, about four days on since we first learned about the existence of this variant. Um, at this point, what have we learned about it, or would you, in your professional capacity, be very worried about it? Um, I'm not sure I'd use the word worried specifically. What we know about it so far is um, that we know it has a lot of changes compared to the variants we've seen already. By changes, I mean changes within its genetic structure, um, its makeup, and those changes are specifically um, in the spike protein, which is this protein on the outside of the virus that we know is important for how the virus transmits and how the virus gets into the body. Um, I suppose you have to be a little concerned or at least wary of what it's going to do. But to be honest, it's all down on paper at the moment. It's a little bit look like looking at a, a football team on paper. You can predict 
what it's going to do. You might say it's a, a strong team, but actually what it does out on the pitch is completely different. And we have to wait and see what this virus does on the pitch, which is infecting people. Will it be more transmissible? Will it cause more severe disease? At this point, we can make some predictions, but that's all they are at the moment. We don't really have any solid evidence. So without knowing any of that then, do you think that it's prudent for governments around the world to be doing the likes of things that they're doing about you know, the likes of travel bans, or do you think that it's a little bit disproportionate when so much isn't known? I think that's a really hard question. You know, we've learned from other variants that if we're too slow to react, then it can really bite us when and if that particular variant comes into the country. I think the challenge with this is that, as we're seeing, it's already out. It's not restricted to southern African countries. This variant is likely spreading across the world. As we speak, we're seeing cases popping up uh, in multiple different countries. And as people look for it, I'm sure they'll find it in even more countries. So, you know, what we want to try and do is understand it as quickly as possible and recognise what it can and can't do. And really, I think, focus on our own national control mechanisms rather than, I think, controlling the borders. We need to be looking a little bit more internally and improving our control measures and our detection systems internally because I don't think we're going to be able to stop it getting into the country. It's about how we deal with it once it gets in. That's what's important. We'll be talking more about travel restrictions a little bit later in the programme. We'll be joined by Owen Corrie on that front. But you did mention uh, detection systems, and that brings us to the question of antigen testing. Um, Minister Joe O'Brien, we also learned today from Stephen Donnelly that because the market has now made antigen tests cheap enough, that they're two or three or four euro in a lot of shops now, that he simply doesn't plan on subsidising them anymore. Do you think two or three or four euro when people have been asked to take them two or three times a week is actually cheap enough? Well, I think things have clearly improved in terms of the market price. We're, we're looking at costs of between two and three euros, as you said. That's markedly different to what it was last week, um, almost three times of a, of, a, of a reduction on it. I do think we need to look at the implications of this, particularly for lower income families as well, particularly families who might have, you know, three or four or five children, you know, that, that could have an implication. And I think we'd be wise to to carefully consider what, how we might be able to support people in situations like that. But I'm glad we're not doing an across-the-board mm. subsidy for every antigen test in, in every shop because that's just going to go into the pockets of, of the multinationals. But you, if it needs to be kept as an open question, it needs to be kept under review, do you know, is the government keeping it under review? Because it sounded today from the Minister that he was closing the book on that. Well, I, I think the, the across-the-board subsidy for every antigen test w it, it is off the table, but I think we'd be wise to see how it rolls out and particularly uh, consider those who, who could be very adversely affected by this uh, in rare enough circumstances, I think, where government advice may advise uh, regular use of antigen tests. Some families could be quite adversely impacted by that. So from my point of view, I'd, I'd certainly be keeping a close eye on how that might impact people. Uh, Darren O'Rourke of Sinn Féin, when Stephen Donnelly said he wasn't going to make them free, he said he was doing that on the basis that any money you spend on antigen tests is less money than you have available to spend on hiring doctors or nurses or anything else. Now that the market has made them cheap enough, is it not fair enough? Well, I think there's been a, a huge amount of inconsistency in relation to the, the government's uh, position in relation to, to antigen testing, and uh, that's been the case from, from, from the outset. We've been talking about antigen tests for, for the guts of a year and more, and it's still not entirely clear the, the approach that they're going to, to take in relation to them. I think, you know, if it is the case that they want them to be widespread, to be used mm -hmm. widespread, um, the issue of affordability is one that will really bite in terms of, of uh, access. Uh, you, but you've you know, just heard Joe say that they're going to keep an eye on affordability to make sure that households that would be unfairly stung will have some sort of support. But, but the, 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 the question is, you know, when do you make the move in terms of making these affordable and accessible? And, you know, if you keep an eye on it until the end of January or the end of February, well, then we've, we've missed, you know, a significant part of the 
usefulness of it. I think, you know, it's clear, you know, other countries have taken the approach of making them free for that exact uh, reason, to, to make them freely accessible to people. So affordability isn't a concern for people. There's no doubt about it, and we see it not only in terms of antigen testing, but in terms of access to medicines and a range of other issues. When you when you increase the price, even by a marginal rate, 50 cents, an extra euro, uh, we see it in terms of the, the, the drugs payment scheme, it means that people go, go without. So and is, I think, is it penny pinching then? Oh, no, I, I think it, that's exactly what, what it is. And, and you know, uh, you, you've seen it in relation to this. I think, you know, you've seen it in, rela in relation to a no number of other measures post-October 22nd. Um, you've, you've seen it in relation to the PUP in terms of subsidies for, for businesses. You see it in terms of the doublespeak, in terms of pantomimes. They, they can be open, you know, they, they go to the pantomime, don't go to the pantomime. Uh, it's, it's closure by stealth, but there isn't a support in place for, for, for those uh, industries. That's not true. Joe O'Brien. Just in, in terms of the, the pantomime, you said there was no support. There is a scheme there for commercial pantomimes and other uh, seasonal-based shows as well that was brought in last week by Catherine Martin. So that is there for commercial... But was that not just to cover their, their operating costs rather than the idea of leaving them open but then advising their patrons not to go? No, I mean, it's, 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 co it's covering costs. It's going, to, it's going to fill some of the gap of, of lost income as well. But just on antigen tests as well, I think it's important to say that I mean, they have a particular role but making freely and widely available is sending a message to that, that PCR isn't number one. But PCR is number one in terms of anyone who has symptoms, and that's important but, to say tonight. But people again, can't get access to PCR well, at the minute. Well, let me, let me bring Gerald Barry in on that, because there's, some people will wonder why it is that you're told if you've got symptoms, forget antigen and go straight for a PCR. A lot of people would think, if I've got a PCR test in the house and I've got symptoms, why don't I take the test? And if the test says I'm positive, then I know I'm positive. And I'll isolate for a fortnight and that can be the end of it. I think the important thing about antigen testing is it has to be used appropriately. Um, antigen testing is not as good as PCR. And so if the possibility of getting a PCR is available, then that should always be number one, particularly if you're symptomatic. But in environments like now where it's not always available. I think that's the key point. We're under testing our population currently and have been for a long period of time. Antigen testing can supplement that and can bring great benefit to detecting chains of transmission and stopping those chains of transmission and overall reducing the infectious burden in the country. Um, in my opinion, they should be widely used and any barrier- Should they be free? I think any barrier uh, to using those tests should be removed. Whether that's free or not, I'm not sure, but if there's any barrier that's stopping the use of them, I think that should be removed. Because there's the argument that if they're handed out free, like for example, they are in Britain, that they're almost handed out willy-nilly and that people almost don't have the same reverence for them, that if they're made to pay even a token charge, one or two euro per test, that at least it means that they are more likely to take it that bit more seriously. I mean, I suppose that's an economic question. Ultimately, if that's considered an important factor, then stick a euro on them or something. But I think what you don't want to do is create a price that creates a barrier to use on a wide scale regularly. And that's where ancient testing should be used. And to be honest, should be encouraged to be used, which it hasn't been up to now. That's slowly changing, thankfully. But as I say, any barrier to, to testing is going to allow chains of transmission to continue. Can we just go back though to the other question of if people do have symptoms and they happen to have an antigen test at their disposal, mm -hmm. why it is that they shouldn't take it? Because there's a fairly good chance if you've got symptoms and you take a test and the test turns out positive, then you know where you stand. So why wait? I think from a, a guidance point of view, the concern would be that if they get a negative test, um, they will assume they're not infected. And that's a problem with antigen testing. And ultimately that's a communication problem because we haven't explained to people what these tests are, when they should be used appropriately. You know, I think about the amount of effort that went into teaching us how to wash our hands 18 months ago. 
but we've all been washing our hands for the last how many years since we were probably two or three years old. We've only understood what antigen testing is or even heard the word antigen test in about the last six months. And yet we haven't explained to people how to use them properly and when to use them. And if we're not doing that, people will use them inappropriately. Uh, apparently, as of this afternoon, there have been 4,000 requests from primary schools for antigen tests to be sent out as part of their informal contact tracing. Um, Joe Byrne, you might argue that that's a sign that schools and the public are way ahead of the government on this because that's probably far ahead of what had been budgeted for. No, I mean, I mean it's, encouraging, uh, it's encouraging that there's this cooperation from parents, I think, across the country as well. And they have got guidance on the use of an antigen test. And it's in specific situations like this, I think, where guidance is provided as well that clarifies their use, that, that they do have a role. Again, I'll say it, if someone has symptoms, it's PCR. I, I recognise over the last week there may be a, a wait for it, but really it is, it is the only way to go if there are symptoms. It has to be a PCR but test. But is the real issue why people have to wait for a PCR test is because that's how you might qualify for any state supports or illness benefit or the like, when there would be other ways that could be far easier and much more adaptable to finding out whether you're, you've got COVID or not? No, I think PCR is, is the only definitive way of doing it. Uh, uh, and I mean, the doctor has indicated there just the reason for doing it as well and the danger of getting a, ne a negative antigen test that may not be true. And that's a high risk. What's the government doing to increase PCR capacity then? Well, I, I think we've levelled off now in the last week or so. Last week was, was very difficult, but there was extra resources brought in as well, and indications are today is that things are, things are moving. I was having a look this afternoon, and there were still no appointments left for the, for the Republic for pretty much all of today, and they were already looking at only a handful of appointments yeah. for tomorrow, and that was a few hours ago. Yeah, so no, there's still big demand there. Still big demand, but, but, it, but the, uh, the, the, over, the overflow is, is, is levelling off a little bit, and I think by the end of this week, uh, there'll be quicker responses in terms of appointments as well. Uh, Darren, if you were holding the levers of power this evening, what would you be doing differently to try and exercise things or to, to get on top of the testing capacity? Well, I, I think um, you know there's a, a number of, of measures across uh, the board in terms of whether it's HEPA filters for, for schools, the rollout of, of antigen testing for, for schools as well. Stephen Donnelly says it's the HSC unit that's advising against HEPA units for classrooms. Yeah, and, and I would like to see that information. I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm married to a teacher and she talks about the experience of, of CO2 monitors and they are just that, a monitor. They're, they're not an intervention. Um, uh, when, when they go off, the kids uh, stand up and walk out of the room and open the, open the windows and come back. That, that it doesn't address the, the root cause of the issue. Um, I would like to see the, the information and, and the analysis in terms of, of HEPA filters. I think you know they would they would make a difference in in schools and particularly I think in terms of you know kids now wearing their, their coats for the whole day now being asked to, to wear masks uh, teachers the same it's an uncomfortable uh, teaching environment I think that's one measure that that could be taken and also in terms of the role of the booster campaign we've I, I saw in Simon's town today in, in my own county um, you know long queues there for a, a, a couple of hours to, to, you can't to get an access quicker, though, because there's a natural window you have to wait until five months after no. someone has got their second dose. No, but we, 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 uh, also, we, we, we also know in, in a number of the, the, the vaccination centres that a number of the boots aren't open. So there's, there, there might be 40 boots, but only 20 are open. And, and we've heard that from around the country. Uh, Gerald, there was a mention there of uh, masks in schools, and we're mm -hmm. probably going to have cabinet officially endorsing tomorrow the advice that masks should be worn from third class onwards. Um, some people would say that it's a little bit of an infringement. It could compromise education. Others would say that this is common sense, which is long overdue. I suppose I can't comment on whether masks will or won't impact on the education of the child. You know, that's not my expertise. All I can say is that we know the masks are effective at reducing transmission of this virus. Um, I advise schools and I have been advising schools since, you know, for the last 18 months. And my own child's school, for example, they've been using masks since September 2020.
So that's a primary school? A primary school, yes. And, and that's all the way down to junior infants. Now it's not mandatory, but it's recommended and it's optional. And a lot of kids do wear masks all the way down to, to junior infants. So, um, you know, all I can say is children should be given the choice, but they will a lot of the time choose to wear a mask because they understand, and we have all understand hopefully that masks reduce transmission. We know that classrooms, you can get transmission. We know that children can transmit it. Um, the idea of saying that HEPA filters, for example, are not advised is just bizarre to you me. You can't understand that advice at all. Well, it's not that I don't understand it. It's, um, it just goes against all the science we know about this virus. I'm not saying the HEPA filter should be in every classroom in the school. I'm saying ventilation is key. Masks are important and they help. And everything that helps to reduce transmission is something we should be actively pursuing rather than reducing uh, uh, things like contact tracing, which is what we did. Okay. And, and then having to turn around when, we, when it's recognised that that was a mistake. Okay. Uh, let's park COVID for a couple of minutes because there has been some big news in the tech world today. Jack Dorsey has stepped down as the chief executive of Twitter. Now, we're joined by Adrian Weckler, who's the tech editor at independent.ie. Uh, Adrian, why now? He's wrecked. He's absolutely exhausted. So the last time I saw him in Dublin, uh, he looked absolutely exhausted. He's running two companies. It's not just Twitter that he's the CEO of. He's also CEO of Square, which is a more valuable company. Um, so uh, it, he just wants to, uh, to, to leave Twitter now because he thinks his work is done. And he has also said that he doesn't think that founders should be running companies like that. He doesn't think founders should be running companies like that. And yet he was still running it 15 years after he'd set it up. Yeah, he's running it for eight of those 15 years. He was originally CEO for two years. Then he was semi-ousted. And then he came back to run it from 2015. But in his big uh, tweeted letter today, he said that founders running companies is not necessarily a healthy thing. He, In fact, he called it severely limiting and a single point of failure. He may have been having a side swipe at Mark Zuckerberg there um, with Facebook. But if you think about all the hassle he has taken in the last couple of years, particularly with Donald Trump, who he eventually banned from Twitter, but not after being dragged before Congress and taking a massive amount of heat for it. Um, so he's now standing down as CEO of Twitter, but he's still going to be remaining as the chief executive of Square, which he also co-founded. So he's sort of going against his own principles there. Yeah, he is. Now, he has also said that he wants to do things like go on a big tour of Africa. He's huge into cryptocurrencies. If you've seen pictures of him lately, his beard keeps getting longer and longer. He's like a member of ZZ Top at this point. He's into yoga. So he's a lot of other interests um, other than the tech companies he's running. He's also getting older. He's 45 now. He may not have the energy that he had 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, just what a world where 45 is an old man. Um, you mentioned that he was uh, the runner of, of the first social network that decided to ban uh, Donald Trump at the tail end of, of 2020. Um, should people maybe then get the impression from that that he is one of the, the inverted commas good guys in as much as there is such a thing in, among tech billionaires? I think among the commentary that's coming out today, he is loosely perceived as that. He's been criticised by all sides in the political spectrum as enabling their own political opponents. But I think most people are now giving him credit for trying to be a relatively <clears throat> honest broker, even up to the point of allowing figures like Donald Trump to use the uh, to use Twitter in circumstances where a lot of others wouldn't have been allowed to do so. Arguably, that has held Twitter's financial performance back. It used to be talked of as a rival to the likes of Facebook. Now it's a fraction of the size of Facebook. One of the company's big problems is it doesn't make much money. 
Um, so what are we likely then to see by change of direction from whoever does come in to replace him as CEO, if anything? Yeah, well, the new CEO is the current CTO, Chief Technical, uh, Tech Technical Officer. That's Parag Agrawal, and he's been with the company for about 10 years. His big thing is artificial intelligence and machine learning. He's an engineer. We're likely to see Twitter uh, try to develop more decentralized models to try and get under the hood a little bit more. It might play around more with cryptocurrencies. But his big challenge, again, is to try and please shareholders and try and start making money because of Twitter's rigid format, which is exactly the thing that journalists and media and sports and, and celebrities love because it's very direct. It's one simple line of text. It's very, very difficult to make money out of ads from that. So he has to find out uh, ways of making money from that. Interesting times ahead. Adrian Weckler, tech editor of independent.ie. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. And also my thanks to Gerald Barry, virologist from UCD. We'll have much more after the break. Joe and Darren will be back for more as we take a look at how travel could be affected by the latest news on Omicron. Don't go away. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. Now, it's not just Ireland that has its BDI on the new Omicron variant of COVID-19. Countries around the world have been figuring out how to try and stop it in its tracks and how much just they need to do. Now, earlier, the US President Joe Biden spoke. He tried to reassure Americans about what they might have been hearing. In the event, hopefully unlikely, that updated vaccinations or boosters are needed to respond to this new variant, we will accelerate their development and deployment if needed my team is already working with officials at Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson & Johnson to develop contingency plans for vaccines or boosters if needed. Uh, Pfizer, of course, have already said as a matter of public record that they'll be able to roll out an updated booster or updated vaccine uh, within 100 days subject to regulatory approval. Uh, before we come in here this evening, I spoke to Shona Murray, the Europe correspondent at Euronews, and I began by asking her for an overview of the situation around Europe right now. Well, seven countries, uh, several EU member states have found case at this point. Italy, the Netherlands, uh, the Czech Republic, uh, Spain, Portugal, Germany, Belgium, as we know. Um, and we don't know a huge amount about those cases uh, in terms of how sick those people are. And we still don't know so much about uh, this new variant. How transmissible is it? Do the vaccines hold up? But on top of that, obviously, we knew that Europe was going through a pretty crushing fourth wave 
uh, anyway, um, when it came to the Delta variant, but in particular um, because of the disproportionate number of people in ICUs that are unvaccinated. Um, and what they're doing about it is obviously imposing restrictions, greater use of COVID certs across the EU, uh, and closing borders or having extra restrictions on people coming from those seven South African countries. But so far, you know, Gavin, there isn't any, you know, pr uh, across the EU restrictions or closing of borders. Each member state in the EU is adamant that we don't return to that. Um, but there is no closing down the borders that we had in the first and second and third waves. The whole point of the COVID cert was to allow the single market continue um, as normal. Um, so are individual countries then still implementing new procedures, even aside from the whole EU umbrella? So even individual countries deciding, for example, you need to have an extra PCR or an antigen test on top of your, your COVID cert? So Portugal is the only one who's announced that so far. Uh, which means everyone, regardless of vaccination status, has to have a negative PCR test. Now, that appears to go somewhat against the spirit of the COVID certificate because the COVID certificate to travel across the single market meant that people who had been vaccinated weren't supposed to have any restri extra restrictions applied upon them. Um, and so speaking to people from the Commission today, they're sort of looking into this because any measures that a member state takes in relation to single market has to be proportionate. And they feel this is discriminatory because it's a catch-all measure. Having said that, the whole point of the emergency break within the COVID certificate is specifically to deal with escape variants like Omicron, even though we don't know exactly how damaging uh, or dangerous this one is yet. Of course, Portugal sees it's fit to take these measures at this point. So um, we'll see, we have to see, I suppose, what's going to emerge from that. But I think the EU will try to see and try to ensure that the single market for travel, the right to freedom of travel will continue, which is why they extended the COVID certificate until, until at least the end of next summer. And it's why the, um, your booster shot can now be on your COVID certificate. And everybody has to have a booster shot within nine months of their first full vaccination in order for your vaccination status to continue. It's fascinating to see what that might mean domestically. And just moving away from, from transport, just on an overall health view, obviously the EU doesn't control health policy in individual member states, but mm -hmm. is there any talk of there being any extra funding to try and help member states through the health issues that might arise out of this? Well, it depends on what the funding were before. I mean, there, there isn't, like you said, the EU, the EU doesn't have competence over the health. I mean, for example, we did see 100 million euro given to member states uh, for antigen testing. That was um, at the start of the summer when the COVID certificate was announced. And obviously Ireland didn't partake in that because it wasn't acknowledging ant antigen tests at the time. So that's the type of funding you could see. But um, there isn't really a fund for that per se. I mean, the EU's, I suppose, its main job has been to secure the vaccines for all 27 member states. And it has secured another 1.8 billion vaccines for boosters uh, and also funding towards um, creating vaccines for escape variants uh, like Omicron. So it's sort of looked ahead in that regard. But restrictions and anything like that are down to member states, whether it's to do with uh, only allowing vaccinated people in or people with negative PCR tests into restaurants or nightclubs and so on. That's all the prerogative of a member state. The EU doesn't have any competency there. It only has competency when it comes to the movement of people and the single market. And that's why it may come in and speak to Portugal about uh, demanding an extra PCR test. But I, I, I don't think that Portugal will be end by any means be told by Brussels that it can't do that. And in fact, Gavin, I'd say you could see other countries follow suit, even including Ireland, perhaps. OK, Sean Murray, Europe correspondent with Euronews, joining us from Brussels this evening. Thank you very much for joining us on The Tonight Show.
Now, Minister of State Joe O'Brien and Sinn Féin's Darren O'Rourke are still with me in studio. We're also now joined by Owen Corrie, the editor of Air and Travel magazine. Um, Owen, it's already been a fairly dicey couple of years for the aviation industry. Does this pose a real existential threat to those who have survived? It's interesting, existential is we use word that's been thrown around. We've seen, seen very few airlines fail. They've been nursed through it by state aid. And we saw a very interesting summer where the low cost, red, led by Ryanair, returned in large numbers, you know, extended market share. But it really has been crisis to crisis. And the, what saved Europe this July was the common travel area, the digital COVID certificate. and. Part of that, as Shona pointed out, was the emergency brake system. This is the first test that the emergency brake system has failed, and it's really not looking good, Gavin. What's happened? How do you believe it's failed? It's not failed, but it's the first test. It's the first, sorry, it's the first test that uh, it's faced, okay. and um, they, it's not looking good because Portugal has implemented a pretty extreme version of it. It's the second notch down, mm -hmm. and introduced um, uh, travel measures on land borders with Spain, as well as this requirement that everybody travelling to Portugal does a PCR test. Pretty much back to where we were before July, regardless of whether you're vaccinated or not. Now. <clears throat> um, Portugal is the first to jump. Poland has introduced measures for non-Schengen. Switzerland is outside. They've introduced it for four countries. We, what, we, what happened in March 2020 was that the 27 countries went off their own dire, uh, direction. What we had in July was a coherent travel policy introduced by the EU Commission. Shauna said the EU Commission are looking at Portugal. They've given the 48-hour notice to introduce this on Wednesday, from midnight on Wednesday. But it really is a great deal of alarm that the entire common travel policy that was put together and took so long to put together could unravel in the face of this challenge. Just before I come back to, to Darren and Joe on this, um, you just said that Poland is implementing now checks for those who are uh, from outside the Schengen area. Does that mean that people who are resident in Ireland who might themselves be Polish, who might have intended to go home for Christmas, that they're now already facing some trouble? No. Um, the way the emergency break works, and this is important, is that it, it's non-EU citizens that generally have to face all the testing. Um, that's what Poland are talking about. That's what uh, Switzerland are talking about. But uh, the Portugal measure is pretty much blanket. Everybody going to Portugal will need a test before they arrive there. The um, in measures introduced by Boris Johnson, by the way, they are, it doesn't apply to Ireland under the common travel area, but very important, if you've been to Spain or Portugal in recent weeks, you will need to do that PCR test uh, um, after arriving. You can do it at the airport or you can do it a day after. Okay. Um, Joe O'Brien, uh, Stephen Donnelly told us earlier in the programme that we're going to be looking at reintroducing mandatory hotel quarantine. A lot of people thought when it was in that it was a fundamentally racist system, that you were quarantining people from other developing world countries without necessarily there being any real ethos as to why you'd single out them over developed Western countries. And now it seems we're going back down that route again. No, I don't think so. And, and I think we're in a very different place now as well to where we were last year. Uh, I, I, what we're doing is preparing to bring it in. We're not, we haven't decided as government to actually bring it in, but we're preparing the legislation so that if we need to move fast, if Omicron develops into something worse than, uh, than we hope it is. So the system will be that, there on standby. That exactly, that okay. we can move very fast. But I do think it needs to be evidence-based uh, and empirical scientific evidence as well uh, before we move to, to mandatory hotel so quarantine for any country. But right now we already have mandatory quarantine at home for people who have come from South Africa or Lesotho or Esbetween near Botswana. We don't have it for people who are coming from the Netherlands or Belgium or Israel or Scotland, all of which are also 
countries which are now known to have Omicron on their shores. Yeah, so as part of the, the EU emergency break, we, we, we partook in that decision to, to limit uh, people coming from the seven countries. Just to be clear, it's, it's a PCR test in advance and it's household quarantine. So it's not, it's not mandatory quarantine, mandatory hotel quarantine for people coming from them seven countries. But it's countries. mandatory home quarantine. It is illegally yeah. enforceable, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. Okay. It, it is indeed. But that's just a, a, an overall initial reaction. Uh, but I think we need to think carefully about uh, any tighter restrictions uh, beyond that as well. Uh, Darren O'Rourke, you're Sinn Féin's transport spokesperson. What would you be doing right now? Yeah, I, I think um, I think we are in a different place. Um, I think it is it is important that we have a um, a proportionate response and, and that we do react. But I think, you know, when we heard of of uh, this new variant last Thursday night, I think automatically people thought about the reintroduction of mandatory hotel quarantine. But I think for myself and I'm sure others, you know, you heard then from the WHO, from Mike Ryan, and from others from from scientists and doctors in South Africa, outlining their perspective in relation to it. And I think it, it, it made everybody uh, uh, think a second time. And I hope it, it's, uh, you know, that argument is, is resonating with, with uh, the chief medical officer and being considered. I think you know, we will hear from the chief medical officer. We will hear from, from Irish public health advice. And I think it is appropriate that we would have the option of mandatory hotel quarantine. But I think we, we are in a different place. And there is a suggestion that uh, I think going to Cabinet tomorrow, there's a, a proposal that, that everybody coming into the country would have to have a, a, a post-arrival antigen test. Um, and I just wonder in relation to that whether, whether that's the, the, the approach to take. Uh, uh, the, the Chief uh, Scientific Officer, Mark Ferguson, mm -hmm. said before the Transport Committee as far back as March, you know, that serial antigen testing uh, done by the individual at home might be, might be an option in terms of facilitating facilitating travel and, and the government didn't go with that. Now the suggestion that you would do it on a mandatory for-profit yeah. basis. Well, we're, uh, we're waiting for the cabinet to sign off on that. That's going to be a tomorrow morning's cabinet meeting, so we don't know exactly where that stands. But if the reports are correct, Joe Browning, you obviously represent uh, an airport constituency in Dublin Fingal. Um, there were TDs, and I remembered earlier this year, TDs crying out for Ireland to reopen its doors to international travel far earlier than it did because a lab-conducted antigen test ought to be enough to prove that you weren't infectious or a threat to anyone else. And now it seems that eight months on, that's exactly what we're doing anyway. Yeah, but the vaccination situation, I suppose, is, is radically different now as well. And I think there is, there is a place for uh, antigen tests in, in facilitating aviation as well. But we do so just have to... So it wasn't done to... eight months previously then? Sorry? Why wasn't it done in springtime then? Uh, because we were in a, a different situation vaccination-wise. We're, we're in a very good situation now as regards the protection of the wider population. What difference does vaccination make to whether you can take an antigen test or not? Well, you've got a safer population coming in. I mean, antigen tests, as I said earlier on, isn't as reliable as the PCR. So we, need, we needed reliability when the vaccination levels were much lower as well in terms, of, uh, in terms of infection. So are we now only then recommending that antigen tests are acceptable because we've run out of PCR capacity? No, it's not, it's not to do with that. It's about, I suppose, moving on to the next stage of COVID now that we have our high vaccination rate and, and stepping back to, to a level of normality and putting discretion back into people's hands in terms of how we manage uh, this virus going forward as well. Oh, and are there many countries that are happy to accept a, an, an antigen test conducted in a lab as, as proof of non-infectiousness? It's pretty, we're the antigen sceptics of Europe. I mean, everybody else went with it. I think the uh, countries that you look to that manage their way through this with keeping borders open, keeping their internet, their air travel open and keeping, like Germany, it was relentless, continuous testing. 
that was the approach they took. And it took a while for Ireland to follow in on that. On the mandatory hotel quarantine, it was just a series of scandals. It was a solo run by Ireland and nobody else in Europe did anything remotely like this. And uh, I think the minister himself said today it was travel bookings fell off a cliff and it achieved what it uh, set out to do at, at different stages. When we had mandatory hotel quarantine with the highest infection rate in Europe, it had no impact but on public it, health. It might have helped us get rid of having the highest infection rate. <laughs> uh, if, if, sorry, if we'd had mandatory hotel quarantine. Um, it, it, it had no impact. I mean, it was quite clearly had no impact. I don't think you can say that definitively. I do, I do think it, it, it limited travel from countries with a much higher level of infection and it helped us to get where we were in terms of our, so our, our good The very position. fact that it was a disincentive is, is how it probably worked. Yes, exactly. But there's and easier and ways think, to put a disincentive I, I, I in than mandatory hotel you know, quarantine. And, and it's about uh, you know, using the, the appropriate response at the appropriate time. I think there is an argument uh, and a good one that it, def you know, it protected the rollout of the vaccine. But I, I think it would be remiss to have this conversation and not pick up on the point that has been made in South Africa and other places that what's needed here in terms of the emergence of variants is the, the mass rollout of vaccinations across the globe, not just on a European or an Irish basis, that and that needs to be addressed. So whether it's a trips waiver or whatever tool needs to take place, the, the capacity is there uh, in India and elsewhere. That needs to be available uh, now. Trips waiver for people who aren't familiar with the terminology. Trips is the the means by which you can waive intellectual property on certain things. And there's been campaigning from uh, the likes of India to try and have intellectual property waived to allow other countries uh, manufacture using the technology that was publicly funded. Um, Joe Bryan, Ireland has been somewhat reluctant to back a trips waiver. We're looking for a common European position and they're worried about a chilling effect on future innovation. Yeah, I think we're in a different situation now and I think we really have to consider actually supporting the TRIPS waiver. We have evidence now with the Omicron um, variant coming to the fore and it's likely next year we're going to see other variants as well, being realistic about it. And part of the reason that that's the case is the usually uneven level of vaccination across the world. So I, I, I think TRIPS waivers should be put back on the table and Ireland should consider supporting it. Um, oh, and it's only 26 days now until Christmas and this would usually be the busiest time of year. Uh, right now, there probably aren't too many, with the notable exception, obviously, of the, the Munster rugby team, um, too many people who are completely stranded as it stands right now. But if other countries like, for example, the US were to go down the route that the UK has done, you could have serious problems with Irish people trying to get back around the world in time for the holidays. Yeah, I mean, Morocco uh, closing tonight. We had a flight uh, delayed two hours getting out to Morocco today. Um, the trip, the flights to South Africa uh, open to Irish people are very much curtailed. Uh, the two BAs, uh, the two to uh, Johannesburg took off from Heathrow tonight in Cape Town. The KLM is continuing to run. You know, the likes of the Munster players caught have huge difficulty scrambling to get back. It's, as you said, it's all family or sporting connections at the moment. But of the countries that we go to in numbers, uh, America and Canada are the ones really to watch. They could decide. We have uh, a lot of European countries now with this variant and it's as already uh, could be present in a lot more of them, including ourselves. In, in a bizarre way then, are we almost hoping that the US and Canada find out that they've already got it and that they don't need to shut the doors? Well, Canada already has it from Nigeria. So, you know, the, 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 the straightforward cause and effect that it's South Africa uh, is no longer applying even tonight and a lot more will happen in the next 24 hours. The real question is, will uh, travel within Europe come under pressure and will those uh, protocols which took so long to negotiate and put in place last July unravel in the face of this. That's a big challenge facing um, everybody tonight. Interesting times ahead. We will leave it there. My thanks to Darren O'Rourke and to Owen Corey. Joe will be staying with us for our next part, which will be discussing the hospitality sector, once again counting the cost, this time over Christmas cancellations. Don't go away.
Welcome back. Now, it's been a horrendous year for the hospitality sector and just when they were gearing up for the important Christmas season, the new government advice about cutting back on socialisation has led to a flurry of cancellations. Minister Joe O'Brien is still with me. We're also now joined in studio by Gina Murphy, who's the owner of Hugo's Restaurant on Marion Row in central Dublin. Um, Gina, you've been telling us just off air that you've had a whole slew of cancellations recently. Tell us how many yeah. you've had. Um, well, just before I left this evening, we did a final tally and we've had 3,200 cancellations in just under three weeks. In three weeks? Mm -hmm. And when people call you up, are they giving any particular reason why they're doing that? It's purely based on the advice of the CMO and the government, which, which is commendable. I'm not, I'm not arguing against that, but it is, it's like having the rug pulled from underneath you again. Um, every email that comes in is the same. It's almost like a template. They're all saying, based on government advice, we are going to be acting responsibly and we're cancelling our Christmas party. Um, and every phone call is the same. They're very apologetic and we, you know, everybody, they're doing the right thing. I know that, but it was, it was, we didn't see it coming and it's really just swiped us and has left us in a very precarious position where I've had over 60% of my business now just wiped out. That's what I was going to ask you. 3,200 seats in a, in a three or four week period is obviously it's quite significant, but that, that's, that's the lion's share of your business for the next month. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, we would normally do about 5,000 covers for the month of December. So 3,200 is fairly, fairly significant. Um, you know, we're getting a little bit of backfill with tables of twos and threes and fours booking in, but nowhere on the level, like probably a fifth maybe, or even a sixth of what we've lost is starting to come back. Um, our Saturdays are still decent enough because they're friends and family based, but the business bookings are gone. The client lunches, the client dinners, the office parties, they are absolutely gone. I think I have 12 tables of, 12 groups of more than 10 people left on my books now for the entire month of December. And that's pretty significant because December is usually the month that sustains industries and businesses like yours through springtime when people aren't eating out as much. Yeah, it, across hospitality, bars, restaurants, hotels, everybody depends on, we all depend on December to um, give us, uh, you know, that little bit of protection to carry us through January, February, March. When we're not going to have that, we, we are in big trouble for January, February, March, the whole industry. And this isn't coming prime you know, trying to come cry poor mouth. It's just been realistic to say this is what is going to happen. So then, uh, and I don't want to sort of over-egg the pudding, but obviously mm -hmm. this, this sounds like a bit of an existential problem for, for you and, and your industry. What would you like government to do to try and help you out of the hump that you're in? Well, I think, first of all, because it came on advice and it's not a government directive, um, I understand that that's why things haven't kicked in. But we do need to talk and we do need to say, right, the wage supports have to stay there. We will not be able to, to pay wages at the rate that we should be paying in January, February, March. We just won't be. But also, I would um, advocate that if we are looking at a lockdown situation, that we do not put people back on the pup. Um, that people are paid through us as the employer to keep that connection, to keep people actually employed. And also, we have to start respecting, uh, sorry, not we, our staff have to be respected. Okay, they earn a lot more than 350 euros a week. And the reason that our industry is in such crisis is because we lost those people because they could not survive on 350 euros a week. You cannot live in Dublin on 350 and pay a mortgage and feed your family. So instead, of, oh, instead of waiting for their jobs to come back, they just moved to another sector because they couldn't live off that? Absolutely. Okay. Th that's, they've left the industry. So if we lose those people again, if we lose what we have left, Whereas we can't open seven days at the moment, most of us are only open four or five days. 
when we come back, if we lose more, we're going to be open three days because they're a skill set that takes years to develop. And these people deserve the respect of being given. You know, I understand you can't pay full wages, but a percentage, like 75% of their wages, something. They have to be able to be, you know, to live sure. and to support their families. Uh, Joe O'Brien, it seems like a fairly grave situation facing the entire hospitality industry. What is the government doing for businesses like Genus? Well, look, there's a recognition, firstly, that the last 18 months for the hospitality sector has been extraordinarily tough and also recognition that the months ahead are, are really valuable to it as well. And just to acknowledge the points that Gina has made in relation to staff and staff retention as well. Um, I think we are at a place as well where we now need to look at more tailored uh, supports for specific sectors as well. And certainly the, the hospitality sector stands out in that regard. Uh, Minister Martin will be reconvening the Tourism and Hospitality Forum this week, uh, specifically with a view to speaking directly to the sector about some of the things that Gina has raised and with a view following that to um, developing some targeted supports, uh, more tailored and more suitable supports uh, for, the, for the challenges that the sector Obviously, is facing at the moment. No one is hoping for a lockdown, but if it does come to that, is there some merit to what Gina has said that instead of putting people on PUP that you retain the employee wage subsidy scheme so that they can still retain that link? The EWSS is, is, is still available and the, the, there's merit in the idea of um, a payment linked to, to someone's salary as well. There's some, some revenue supports that are due to be cut, though, in two days' time, isn't there? Uh, the, the, the COVID revenue subsidy scheme, the, the, the CRIS scheme, was it due to the, start being the, tapered the, down the, from two days' time? The, the CRIS, but the EWSS will, will, will still be available, and, uh, and I think that the forum that's going to be reconvened this week is going to look at other potential uh, specific solutions for sure. the sector as well. but tapering down some of those payments when you're coming into a time when some industries like Genius are really going to be on the breadline seems like a pretty inopportune timing. I know, but that's, I suppose that's why we're, we're having the forum this week as well, to, to see what else we can do. Gina? Well, I think if, if we go into a situation, again, I, I appreciate that this has all been done on advice and it's not a government directive to, you know, close your businesses or, or taper down your business. But um, the reality is, is that people acted on the advice and they have in their droves made the cancellations, which is commendable. The public are listening. And, and you know, that's one thing to be very proud of, of uh, that, you know, they are listening, they are paying attention, but that we've been we've been absolutely decimated by this advice um, so the chris has to be revisited um, we cannot be in a situation where we if we do go into a lockdown remember we cannot work from home we are an industry that cannot work from home we have to be supported and or else you lose everybody would it and you cannot it, it's a waste of government money for the last 18 months would it almost be better for industries like yours gina if you were going to be on the breadline where you're not sure if it's viable to open would it not be better if the government actually instructed the likes of you to close rather than allowing you to trade and having no customers out there i don't want to close my doors you know it just goes against everything that's in me i don't want to close my doors and you know for myself for my staff for my suppliers for the, the all the wonderful people that are connected in in a chain through we're just the, we're just the front line there are so many people behind us if we close our doors we are literally shutting down an entire supply chain from the growers the farmers the fishermen you know the delivery men the wine suppliers and so after the length of the disruption <coughs> that you've already had this year and last would you be able to overcome another one I don't know. I don't know. That's the reality. That's not me like giving it all up. It's just reality. We, we can't let ourselves go into a situation where we're not protected. OK, we're going to have to leave it there, I'm afraid. Gina, Minister Joe O'Brien, thank you both very much for joining us. That is it from us tonight. Our programme is available, as always, on a podcast on all major platforms. Our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning from 7 o'clock. From all the late team here, good night. Thank you very much for watching and do take care.
This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.